G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. As we do on a Monday, checking in with the Australian Christian Lobby, Wendy Francis is the Australian Christian Lobby State Director for Queensland and the Northern Territory. Wendy Francis, special welcome back to 2020. So good to be on your program, Neil. Thank you. Wendy, let's start with this big one, the Women's March for Justice. It's being held today at nationwide rallies, highlighting violence and sexual misconduct against women. Uh, What are your thoughts on the fact that these marches are on today? So I support the the women who are calling out for justice for women. Uh, The one thing I would say, Neil, is that women have done a lot to bring attention to this very real problem, and it is a very real problem. Uh, I get um, sometimes disappointed when we have a post on Facebook or something and we're talking about violence committed against women and straight away men come in and say, um, you know, there's an unreported epidemic of women's violence against men and you're not mentioning that. Well, of course we're concerned about women's violence against men. But when we're looking at statistics, like well over 80% of violent crimes, it's actually men who are committing those crimes. And so I do... I do understand why the women are marching the thing i would say is though women have done an awful lot in this area it's time for the men to actually stand up and speak up themselves so i I want the men to actually take this up Let's talk the politics for a few moments because the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, is a man and he's been called on to come out of his office and stand in front of the women who are going to march on Parliament House today. He's refused to do that, but he's made an offer to meet the women privately in his office, or the leaders at least, uh, but the women aren't, aren't taking that as enough. They, they actually want him... I think in uh, in the words that I saw on one interview a little earlier today, they want him to be able to read the room. In other words, look out over the sea of women who will be there outside Parliament House so that he appreciates the, uh, the extent that women are going to to get his attention. What are your thoughts for the Prime Minister and uh, the fact that he's said he's not going to attend? I'm sure they've got his attention, Neil. And our Prime Minister is an extremely busy man. At the moment, with everything going on with COVID and I mean it's you, you I don't have to tell you and your listeners everything that he's confronted with so I find it um I, yeah I don't like the thought that we can order our prime minister you have to be here or you have to be there I I think that he's got a huge job there is no way he's not paying attention uh they they do have his attention and I don't think that we can order him around there will be representatives from him there today and, and for me, that's good enough. Women are, and I think understandably, disgruntled and wondering if their voices matter. Every now and then you have to have the sort of activity, the sort of action that's happening today. And uh, let's assume it's not been hijacked by uh, particular groups uh, that have a political ideological view in all of this. Let's assume that everyone's motive is that they do want uh, women's voices to matter. What are your thoughts around women's voices uh, speaking out loudly? 
women's voices really do matter and they have to speak out on this because when you look at the statistics, we're talking about um, 94% of rape victims, 84% of other sexual crime victims, these are women. So women need to speak out, their voices need to be heard. You know, I could go on, like 87% of homicides are committed by men, 83% of non-sexual assaults are committed by men. You know, this is a very real problem and I understand why women are disgruntled and their voices really do matter. And I do believe that our our um, politicians are listening, but we have to have action. And that's why I said at the beginning, women keep speaking up about this. We need the men. We need the men to stand up and start saying, you know what, guys, it's time for us to actually speak up about this because the women have been talking about this for many years. Wendy, we'll often talk on this program about the idea that there is a cultural revolution underway and a lot of that is around sexuality, it's around gender issues, it's around relationships, it's around marriage. How do you think that culture change right now is contributing to some of these issues we're seeing with violence against women? We can't help but see the cultural changes actually making an impact. There's a couple of areas I'd, I'd quickly mention on that. Um, well, one that comes to mind is we now have men being able to invade women's spaces. So, you know, when the suffragettes marched and won the vote for women 100 years ago, odd, um, the next thing they really sought was a separate bathroom so that they would feel safe in the bathrooms. We've now actually gone completely flipped on that because of our cultural um, norms changing over gender. We don't even have um, safe spaces for women who have been experiencing domestic violence. Even in those safe spaces, men who are identifying as women are allowed to enter. But I think the, the huge elephant in the room, Neil, is our acceptance of pornography as being normal. Um, you know, pornography is overwhelmingly images of men being cruel to women, men abusing women in some way, men using women for sexual exploitation. And so to, to on the one hand say, well, that's just part of being a guy, and on the other hand say, we've got a real problem here with men abusing women and men being violent to women, I mean, it's just completely nonsensical. So um, those are just two of the areas that I guess I'd bring up. Wendy, there are already laws against violence and, uh, you know, for whatever reasons, and this is why we need to have these sorts of discussions, these things are being ignored. Uh, The idea of seeking political action, well, politicians make laws. There's already lots of laws that protect women, that protect anyone against uh, levels of violence. Uh, the idea that there needs to be a grassroots uh, movement that actually rises up against uh, the idea of sexual violence against women, uh, this is where a Christian voice becomes very powerful. I wonder whether you've got any thoughts about the contributions that Christians make at a grassroots level when it comes to how we teach our young men and young women about these issues. It's massive the amount of influence that we have as a Christian voice. We are far larger than any union. We're far larger than any of the other minority groups. And yet we, we tend to um, just stay in our little huddles. And, but, but we have a huge influence. I think the first thing now is that we have to speak to our own men and women. We have to actually really address this issue in church. We have to address this issue in Bible studies. We have to address this issue in special forums. And so when our own people are actually 
um, impacted and their lives are turned around because we can't say that this this sort of um, heavy-handed male patriarchal influence is not in the churches. It is in the churches. And I'm not talking here about headship in the family or headship in churches. I'm talking about men treating women badly. And, and so, first of all, our own people have to be really... Um, this has to be addressed in churches. But then, yes, we've just, we should be the ones out there speaking on behalf of, of family and the, the breakdown in the family that we're seeing right around our nation and particularly in the Western world and the impact that that is having on men and women relationships. Isn't it amazing, Wendy Francis? And uh, here we are talking about how the church needs to respond here and recognising that there are weaknesses uh, in the Christian church around these sorts of teachings. And yet uh, there is a foundation that is being taught in so many churches around the idea that there is an equality between a man and a woman in marriage, that when the two marry, they become one flesh uh, that there is this idea of husbands love your wives even as Christ loved the church and was prepared to lay down his life for them. Uh, these sorts of foundations are so, so powerful and they do filter down as 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 uh, awkwardly as that might even feel sometimes. Uh, the church is in a far better position to be able to say we have a foundation to deal with whereas outside of the church you're really just floating around on nothing, aren't you? Absolutely. And you know the Bible just over and over again, you know, submit to one another in love. When we look at how Jesus treated women, he, the way he actually treated women was radical in his day of accepting women. Women were the first evangelists. Women the ones he shared the, um, some of the, the most incredible secrets with. But um, he treated women as equals. And so we, we are in a very strong position to address this in our culture today. Uh, let me just connect this with another huge issue that has been uncovered in our nation, and that is the idea of sexual abuse uh, that was unearthed uh, just this last week or so and uh, a focus on private schools. And so while private schools, the focus there, that doesn't mean that every school isn't affected, but uh, reports of sexual, sexual abuse within private schools and uh, sparking calls for debate around this idea of sexual consent now, this might even be a tricky one to deal with, but how do you think of that issue of sexual consent? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really quite opposed to what the proposal is, that, that proposed, I'm saying proposed a number of times there, aren't I, Neil? I am, I'm not happy because um, these are children. They are not liable for consent. We can't actually put that onto them. That you you can say yes or no. In a like again, this whole um, male influence with um, particularly the young, the the age of our particular boys watching pornography, what they are expecting and what the girls are expecting to actually give out. This is we cannot actually put on them that they have to be they have to consent. And if they consent, it's okay. It's still not okay. Um, you know, when we look at any sort of uh, sexual violence, it is not okay. And we can't just say, oh, well, she, she didn't say no or she didn't say, you know, she, we thought that she was saying yes. So we have to actually start teaching abstinence again. Our children need to know it's not a matter of, well, you can decide whether you want to be used in this way. No, the answer that you should be giving is no, no. Um, so we, we need to be teaching abstinence to the girls and the boys, because we need teaching boys why it is that you actually do not expect this from 
uh, the young girls at school as well. So I, I'm not, I'm not um, in favour of of consent. Okay, for, for our young what children. a powerful yeah. point you are making here. Abstinence needs to return to the idea of not only teaching within the church. And I don't think in so many churches uh, it's disappeared at all. Abstinence is still uh, the issue that young people are taught in so many youth groups. But in what you're saying, Wendy Francis, you're saying if you're going to teach children consent, it's like a green light. Uh, And that will only exacerbate issues of sexual violence and, uh, you know, uh, these issues of uh, men having their way or let's let's just say let's just bring this down into the school context. Children having their way with children. Uh, It's like a green light. Absolutely, it is because along with consent, then they teach. Um, well, if you and if you, because if you're going to say that you can choose between yes and no, then you have to give them the scenario for both. So you're giving them the scenario for yes, and so then we're teaching them about how to put condoms on, and so we're teaching young children how to protect themselves against sex. So we are assuming, okay, you, you know, many of you are going to say yes. So we, we just like absolutely turning the green light on and there should be no green or yellow there should just be a red for school children okay now there are controversial programs being taught in our schools and uh, if this idea of consent is introduced into those programs does that exacerbate some of the major controversies around these like safe schools or respectful relationships programs and introduce consent in there and all of a sudden all these other controversial issues creep into the into the teaching in the classroom um completely right so the respectful relationships program when covid hit and it was there on the screens in people's homes all around the nation, I've got pe- parents contacting me because they were seeing all of a sudden what we've actually been trying to say is in the Respectful Relationships Program. So part of that was a resource on teaching children, um, and we are talking children because we're talking school students here, Neil. So we're talking that they were teaching children how to sext safely. Now, this is just an absolute um, abomination. You cannot sext safely and our children again should be being taught legal even the legal ramifications of this so the respectful relationships program i would say to um, parents most of it is actually about being respectful to every single person and of course of course we agree with that of course we do but in amongst it is some of this really vile sort of sexual stuff and not only that but the whole confusion over what is a boy and what is a girl and the, the blurring of the lines between that. And again, this plays into the whole, um, the whole notion of our guys um, not even knowing who they really are, our girls not really understanding what being a female is. And so this is, this is adding to the whole confusion and the whole diabolical mess we're actually in. And if we can't teach our children some concrete behaviours in their childhood, how would we expect them to behave in a responsible way into their adult years? And I know you already mentioned uh, the idea that pornography has having a huge effect on young people today. Uh, you've, in fact, got a submission that you have in relation to the online safety bill that's around this issue of pornography, which is accessible by so many uh, right uh, into our child years. Uh, Give us some thoughts here on what sort of action you're taking so far as the online safety bill. 
So we're really asking for age verification for access to pornography. We already have that to a degree with gambling, so it's difficult. It's not impossible. Obviously, children can get around things, but it's difficult for a child to go online and gamble. Um, we want the same difficulty to be applied to pornography. What, what makes me really sad about this, Neil, is that we keep on having inquiries and, and the government has committees that look into these inquiries and they come up with some really good recommendations. But this, is, this happens over and over and over again and then an election comes and it just goes down, we're back down in the basement again. And so we're, we're really trying to push this online safety bill to, to get some action before the next election because otherwise we start from scratch again. And there's no doubt that our, um, our members of parliament but also leaders in every sphere around our nation are recognising the issue that we have with children, children's safety online. We need to actually put, put action to our words and make the changes that we say would be beneficial. And I know that listeners will be able to get some more details about how they can support your initiatives when they go to the ACL website, Australian Christian Lobby, acl.org.au. I'll give that website again in just a few moments. And uh, so many issues to talk about, Wendy, but I did want to uh, touch on the Western Australian state election with you. And uh, while listeners will know that you're the state director for the Australian Christian Lobby for Queensland and the Northern Territory, you're interested in how election are voting for governments all around the nation. Uh, you were following those things as they unfolded on Saturday night. The McGowan government now in basically total control in WA. Any concerns about that or thoughts on the WA state election outcome? I think no matter how good or how bad a government is, particularly obviously how bad, but no matter how good a government is, when you're in total control, then the democratic process is in danger. And so it's a real shame that we've seen this wipeout of the opposition. So we've got now, it looks like 52 ALP, three Libs, four Nats, you know, they could fit into Tarago. And so uh, it is, um, I think it is a real disappointment for our ongoing democratic process. But I, but I have to say, to me, it's a COVID response um, to, to voting. And I think that this is what we've seen, it's what we saw, I think, in Queensland, in the Queensland election as well. Um, it's it's keeping safe. It's staying the course. Uh, that's what I think people have voted for. Uh, let's just touch on for a moment, and this is one of the big controversial issues that I was talking to a whole lot of commentators in the lead up to the Western Australian election. And that is the idea that it's a part of the McGowan platform in WA to likely pursue conversion laws, uh, are probably along the lines of Victoria. And uh, the idea that we were talking about that, it wasn't, it's not already law in WA, but being on the front foot and warning voters in advance that these things are likely to happen under this government, what are your concerns now that there is a total control scenario in WA and there is that uh, likelihood that the McGowan government will pursue those sorts of laws and what that means for Christians? I think that the likelihood is, as well, as you say, very strong. And for me, I just don't think that the message was getting through because everybody is concerned about COVID. And so we, they, they're not listening. But the other problem that we have is with language. So we, we have lost the language, you know, us on the, the side of, of, um, 
what I would call biblical values. We've lost the language war often because when we talk about conversion therapy, of course if we're talking about any coercive practice, Christians and everybody would be like, no, we, of course we don't want that. But that is not what we're talking about. We're talking about a law that now prohibits people from praying for another person, even if that person asks them to pray, if they are in any way dysphoric about their gender. Um, so we, we have a real um, big problem with our language, I think, and we've got to somehow over, overcome that hurdle. Well, Wendy Francis, we have run out of time. Uh, there's lots of other issues, and I'll point listeners to the Australian Christian Lobby website, acl.org.au. You'll be able to follow uh, some of the big issues as the ACL is taking some levels of action by way of campaigns. Uh, all of that, of course, uh, to stimulate and to motivate and to mobilise uh, Christian communities wherever you might be listening today. So acl.org.au. Wendy Francis is the Australian Christian Lobby State Director for Queensland and the Northern Territory. Wendy, thanks so much for the update today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Thanks to the listeners. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.